You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hi, it's Erica. Hi, it's Shannon. And tonight we're talking about Erica Brer, who uh, was from Philadelphia. She's an 18-year-old um, senior at Frankfurt High School. And after a night out with friends, she did not make it home. And one month later, her body was found in a wooded area with dozens of stab wounds. And to this day, there's not really any closure for this case, although there's a lot of speculation on the part of the family as to who has done it. So according to Erica's friends and family, she was full of fun and laughter and could turn anyone's day around their sense of humor. Her friends at Frankfurt High School called her the counselor because she would, you know, just make everybody around her feel feel better. She'd always ease her mother's worries of when she would be going out, telling her that she was tough. She was Philly. She was street wise. And therefore, she'd be OK. So I am. Um, I lived in Philly for a while. And I, I'm not sure if I shared with you. It's so hard because like all the cases we've covered and I'm, I'm sure probably our listeners has he- have heard. But it was ridiculous. You could be doing like nothing and get attacked. Some people want to even attack you to take things. One of my roommates got punched in the face and they just walked away. They didn't try to take anything. My gosh. I mean, and when I was in college, I was playing rugby as a starter and I was like, no one's going to mess with me. And I got jumped by little kids. Wow. Had a pipe. So, I mean, I don't know. After that, I was like, yeah, I'm not as tough as I think I am. And, and sometimes that Thinking that, oh, I'll be fine. That's not a good thing. You know, it kind of leaves you a little unprepared. Um, Where is Frankfurt High School? What, like, area of Philadelphia is that? It's on Oxford Avenue in Northeast Philly. Oh, so it's Northeast. And that's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Northeast used... I I lived in the Northeast for a little bit, and it wasn't that bad then, but I don't don't think it's doing so great now. No, it's not. Well, as you know, Chelsea, I work in North Philly now, so that's like... Yeah. <laughs> she was. She lived on Cheltenham Avenue. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, she was out with friends on March 15th, 2007. She was over at a friend's house, and according to her mother, she returned home around 11, said goodnight to her mother around 11.30 p.m., And the next day, she was scheduled to testify in court as a witness to a mugging that she was, you know, a victim of, along with a male friend in in West Philadelphia. So around 6 a.m., her mother went in to wake her up. That's March 16th of 2007. But she wasn't home. So she thought she might have gone out to, you know, grab a cigarette. You know, her keys, her purse, her phones were gone. She had two phones. She had one on her mom's, mom's plan and then one that they referred to as a chirp phone for her friends, which I'm not sure what a chirp phone is. I'm not either. I never heard that term. I don't know what that is either. Yeah, I didn't either. Maybe it's a, maybe it was more like a, um, like a, like a prepaid, like a track phone or something like that, you know, because I imagine 2007, you know, they might not have had unlimited plans at that time, or if they did, they were probably a lot more expensive. So oh, no, they definitely did not have <laughs> uh, unlimited plans at that time. That was around the time I was, I guess, allowed to have a cell phone. Okay. And it was like by minutes and I had mm-hmm. a certain amount of texts I could send per month. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I've never heard of a chirp phone before. 
Yeah. So after a while, she had returned home. So her mother went to the house that she had been at the night before and then called some of her friends and no one had seen or heard from her. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> I, I, do, I do know what it is. Sorry, okay. I looked it up fast because I wanted to know what it was. It's, um, it's like those walkie-talkie phones. That's what they are. Oh, like a oh. Nextel. Those were yeah, okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That- I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know. It sounds similar, but... Okay. It what? was the ones that would do that, like, chirp yeah, thing. That makes, I actually that just makes was sense. talking about that a couple weeks ago, That when they could do that. That was fun. Good old next to interrupt. No, that's okay. Thank you for for looking that up, because now I won't have all that anxiety. I'm wondering what it is all the rest of the night. Um, so once she had heard back from her for a few hours, she knew something was wrong. So she went to the police to file a missing persons report. An officer came to the house to inspect her belongings, but mentioned that because she was an adult and there's no evidence of foul play, it didn't necessarily qualify her as a missing person. But, you know, her mom knew that she didn't she didn't just take off. I think it's crazy because I would think that if she had court that day, they would take it a little bit more serious. I don't know. Very good point. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Especially, you know, you know, a mugging like, you know, it, it's not like a victimless crime. It, you know, it's, you know, it actually happened to her and someone else. So her testimony was pretty critical for that, for that court case. So, yeah. But um, Erica was like, she was very close with her mother. She was very close with her grandmother and wouldn't have been out of touch for long. She did. Her mother did mention that she was not fond of some of Erica's friends and just cautioned her about falling to others' bad influences. So then in the weeks that followed, she continued looking, was hanging posters um, around different neighborhoods. And Erica's father was um, living in Texas at the time, and he actually even flew in to help look for her. Janice had, or Janice, I'm sorry, that's her mother's name. Janice had a phone number for people to call with any information about Erica, but believes anonymous calls from people that had knowledge of Erica's whereabouts um, were just calling to give her false information. So, you know, she got a lot of anonymous calls with, you know, information that turned out to be basically BS. So maybe trying to dissuade her or throw her off track. And sometimes I think people just get a sick pleasure of, I don't know, making themselves a part of things or like ruining it or I don't know. Yeah, that whole, you know, Need need for inclusion, I guess. Yeah. Even though, you know, you don't have anything to really do with it. I, I was listening to a podcast and it was something similar, like, I guess, a quote unquote person who was in jail who was going to be like a snitch. It turned out he just did it because he wanted to be able to victimize somebody. And that was like a, a joy for him. And I was like, man, that really is awful. Yeah, that's yeah, that's serious mental issues yeah that's a whole other level of sick yes so um on april 16th 2007 philadelphia police responded to a wooded area in the 200 block of kubak street which is approximately 12 miles from erica's house on the 1400 block of cheltenham f so a man that worked at a nearby building found her body in the wooded area Detective Ken Rossiter of Homicide Unit described her violent death, saying that she had 40 stab wounds. So that was like some serious. That's a ton. Anger. Yeah. Um, and appeared she had defensive wounds on her hands and her arms. Uh, police did not find her identification or her two phones. The autopsy showed only prescription pain medicine for her back and an antihistamine in her system. So no types of narcotics or, or anything. So it was her, you know, her 
pain medicine was prescribed and then an antihistamine, you know, I always have an antihistamine in my body. So, and Advil. So, yeah, and it was spring. So that makes sense. Yep. So detectives believe that the body had been carried into the woods. Uh, the body condition was not indicative that the death occurred immediately after she went missing. And based on the weather at the time, the body should have shown more decomposition. So there were apparently some winter storms that happened on the day she went missing and the day she was found. But the time in between, they had some warm weather. So, you know, that cold weather and um, I think there was some ice and snow at the time didn't didn't have any climate to linger in. Um, so just as they were doing more investigation, they saw that there were some calls made to her repeatedly after midnight, uh, the night she went missing, but there were no messages left for most. One unknown caller made reference to the court appearance scheduled for that next day. And police did have a person of interest who they referred to as a close connection. Uh, but once they obtained a search warrant for this individual, it didn't turn up any more clues. So it kind of stalled the case at that point. So I did go to the Facebook page. Um, there was a lot of a lot of posts that I just like kind of like was uh, going through. Um, the Facebook page is Justice for Erica Blair, and it's Erica E R I C K A Blair is B R A I R. But the administrator, I don't know who that is. I did not hear back from them. Um, it may be mother or a close, you know, close friend or family member. But the administrator refers to bully that is responsible for her death in some way whether directly or indirectly, and references this person having others do her dirty work. Um, they don't name this person, but they do mention that this this bully um, has been in prison since April of 2023 for a similar offense and has subsequently had her children taken from her. So, you know, I'm sure anybody following that page is probably, you know, connected with Erica likely knows to whom that po those posts are referring, but it's funny because like seems to be all perpetrated by oh, another female, which, you know, you see, but you, you know, you kind of automatically go to a male, you know, com committing something this anus. That's true. And I, I, so I guess, I don't know at that point, are they thinking it ha didn't have anything to do with the court date and her testifying? There's not really anything that says it does. It does. And she didn't even seem to be really worried about it. You know, she was just doing what she had to do. But, you know, in other you know conversations with her mother, she did not have any real fear about testifying. I think she was just nervous about, you know, being in court in front of a judge and, you know, uh, assume a jury, you know, and things like that, you know, probably cross-examination. The only thing I can think is, well, one, I think it's super personal for that many stab wounds. Probably guaranteed she was dead <laughs> before all 40. But to think about it, when there's got to be just so much blood and then it gets slippery. I wonder if maybe the assailant could have potentially cut himself. I wonder if maybe this could be like a break by DNA possibly. Yeah, that would that's a great point. And, you know, there's not too much information um, about, you know, about the investigation. You know, I think I know we talked before about keeping things close to the chest and, yeah. you know, there's just there's just not that much that has happened since then other than what you know these facebook posts 
mention about this, this quote unquote bully. So. Well, yeah. And I mean, how much was there much investigation? There's no talks about any DNA or anything. Not that I can find. Yeah, it's 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 really strange that that there's like so little that I can find, like everything, every article, every, you know, every website had the same information, you know, it was mm-hmm. just the same, the same, the same. So i just, I was just kind of like kind of at a loss and just kind of like, am I, am I missing something? Like where, you know, where's this other information or is it just that because they, they know who they're looking at, they're not just, t- they're not tipping their hand at this point until they can, you know, prove something conclusively. Sometimes I think that there's not a lot of coverage because family members or friends aren't pushing, like, police not on top of them. And for a place like Philly that has so much Mm -hmm. crime, um, it's really, really hard if a case goes cold. They have so many newer cases just constantly. They've always kind of been inundated Mm -hmm. with crime in Philly. And just this past year... I know it, it, the crime has like gone exponentially out right. like the window. I know in the beginning of the year I was doing a case and I was looking up statistics and in Philly there was a shooting almost twice every single day of December. Different victims and I just read in the paper the other day that this person in Montgomery County got arrested because he was buying guns legally but then selling them to people who couldn't get them right. and some of the guns that he had sold had been linked to homicides within Philly. Well, so it's like a huge problem and it's sad, but unfortunately... Good thing they got him. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. There are still a couple of guns that they haven't been able to like find, but it's just super sad because she's a young girl. You know, everyone should have closure for their family. Right. And she was scared. You know, she was going to be graduating in a, you know, in a few months, you know, when this happened. And, and it was, you know, her mother's only child. So she's, you know she's gone she's got she's got no one else so it's it's you know that much more sad for her mother you know that there's no other children to kind of be there for that you know that support yeah is is her mother still alive i guess yes i'm I'm surprised she wouldn't be pushing more it sounded like they were close and everything and this is why I think that she runs that Facebook page. And I did reach out and I got like a, you know, an automated message back that said, you know, we're leave, you know, we're we're offline, but should be back on, you know, at such and such a time. But I didn't hear back after that point. And I did, I think I went out and checked again to see if any any more recent posts had been made and they haven't been. So, you know, who knows what could have happened in in that time? I you know I don't know if they just maybe gave up on the Facebook page. Um, there was less than a hundred followers on it, so um, doesn't seem like it has a lot of traction or anything either. Right, right. And you know I know we always say like why doesn't the family like follow up? We did another case on Margaret Kyoto, and we did talk to her sister and. Um, like, we weren't going to put her name, I believe. Like, her name was changed because she got married, but she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want her coworkers to bring it up with her because the case is not solved. But, and yes, yeah, she wants to know what happens, but she says she just feels, I don't, I don't want to say victimized, but it's like, it just brings up really bad wounds right. that she feels might not ever get healed. So it's kind of like she's putting it in a box, sealing it up, and it's gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you um, might feel like people might look at you differently, or, you know, like feeling bad for you or something all the time. You might get sick of that. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure it's just she's doing whatever she can just to get by. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So so the um this bully person has now been in prison since April of 2023. So that's like really recent. Right. So hopefully that if she did have something to do with it, um, the fact that she's now in prison, hopefully that helps. Yeah. And the, the interesting part was that she said she was in prison for a similar offense. So, you know, she's she seems like some sort of like maybe ringleader, in my opinion, of, yeah. you know, of a of a group and just kind of, you know, does not. Does, well, does not have any respect for for other people if she's mm-hmm. going around, you know, assuming she's going around or stabbing hits on people. Yeah, or stabbing people. I wish I wish I had more information. But again, like not like we're entitled to it, but it's just, you know, it's just it's almost like they're just teetering right on the right on the cusp of being of being able to to solve it. And it's just there's just we just need that little that little push to get them over the finish line. Yeah, hopefully they find something. So more to come. If uh, if anything does come up, I'll you know keep looking and keep following the page and see if any anything comes up that we could do an update maybe in the future. Hopefully this 2023 has been a really good year for cold cases. So you never know. Yeah. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to the family or friends of the victims. Only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched by Melanie Lees. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Join us next time for another